One of the things I've uh, found to be really kind of odd is uh, over the years is pay and uh, the relativity, I guess you could say, of uh, of pay. So, I'm trying to think of a way to put this without, uh, well, everything I say probably sounds insane from the right perspective or the wrong perspective, depending on how you feel. But uh, years ago, I had uh, gone into um, Magnolia in Lancashire, a uh, laundromat over there. And when I first started going, it was like 2013, 2014, or something like that. And um, I was paying $1.25 per load. And after about a year of going there, they raised the prices to uh, to $1.50 for each load. So here I am, you know, and I had already been thinking, you know, about the whole concept of pricing is relative to my demand, not necessarily the demand of the population, but to my demand, and the prices um, for the things that I personally demand will inevitably rise, and the things that I don't demand will inevitably fall or maintain. So, anyways, um, I had uh, witnessed this time and time and time again with apartments. I had always written it off, believing strangely that, uh, you know, that prices are always escalating this much, and this is how much, you know, simply how much things are and everything. You know, but I just, I couldn't get over, you know, how this happened year over year, where every year I went to, you know, every year my lease um, price would go up for the rentals uh, that I would get and everything, and, you know, inevitably after two, three years, I'd just move out and just find a different place and everything, partially because of the cost was becoming, you know, just more expensive at the place that I was at, and in addition to that, it was just um, one of those things that was just like I didn't feel like paying the, you know, what I considered extortionary rates in order to basically maintain you know my my living there and everything well so uh, so here I am you know over at the laundromat and I'm I'm sitting there thinking okay you know am I seeing my little f personal phenomena you know the thing that I'm that I'd noticed before where pricing is relative to my demand so anyways this happened after about a year of me being there now yeah, over the course of the next uh, next year, you know, I was using it regularly, um, but I ended up going to a couple other places, and you know, within uh, I noted that one already had it at a dollar fifty per load, and uh, I ended up going to another place, and I'm not shitting you when I say within within two visits there, uh, within a period of two months' time, they ended up raising their prices from a dollar twenty-five to dollar fifty-two. So I'm just like I'm going okay. This is kind of weird. So, anyways, I end up returning back to the one on Magnolia and Lancashire. So, I, by, by now I've visited probably um, three altogether, including the Magnolia and Lancashire. So, only three different uh, different um, laundromats and everything. And I know, I know that three does not constitute a trend. But uh, from my personal observational standpoint, it certainly does. So... In any case, um, here I am, just uh, going, okay, this is kind of weird, um, but fuck it. I'm going to go back to the Magnolia and Lancashire location, where it's actually pretty uh, pretty com comfortable going. You know, I can get there, I can hop the metro, I, I'm not a fan of paying metro fees, and I'll take the tickets and throw them in the trash and everything, just because I don't, I don't believe public transportation should cost money. <laughs> 
So, in any case, um, I had no qualms about to take, you know, take the metro for two miles and taking it to that location or, or asking a bus driver. Most bus drivers will gladly uh, let the homeless people on, and as long as you're not causing trouble and everything. So, in any case, um, I ended up going to the Magnolia, back to the Magnolia and Lancashire one, and they were pretty cool about things because they would let me cut my hair there. So, every time I would go in and, uh, you know, do my laundry, um, because there was a homeless guy, um, that he had been homeless for 20 years before getting a job with the laundromat, he was pretty good about letting people like me in that did the laundry there, we took care of things, and we watched out for each other, and, uh, he would let me, uh, you know, use the, uh, the restroom, which, you know, was for employees only, and, um, they ended up shortly after changing it to customers only, making sure nobody that, uh, you know, if you, you had to come in there, if you paid for for the services of the place, but anyways, at, at the time it was employees only, he ended up uh, letting me in to, uh, to cut my hair, and uh, I took my little shaving, uh, my trimmer kit, and ended up shaving my head basically every month that I went to go do laundry. So anyways, within a period of a year's time, I noticed um, the, the trend continued. All of a sudden, it changed from $1.50 to $1.75 per load. Now, at this point, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is kind of odd. Um, we're talking nearly a 45%, um, if, if we do the math, $1.25 and then a 50, per, a 50 cent raise, that's um, basically two-fifths, 40% of a of an in, incline in the rate, um, the cost of a single load of laundry and everything, had it, it had escalated that much within a period of two and a half years. Now, for me, this was this was validating my belief. You know that pricing for things is relative to me. Now, I had seen this in many other places. You know, so if I go to um, you know, years, for years I went down to Mexico, and over the years I noticed the prices down in Mexico kept increasing. Um, you know, fast food, I'd go for fast food, or I'd go for Starbucks, or something else like this, and all of a sudden, you know, I'd consistently notice that prices would get raised. You know, and I'd always dismiss this, this belief, you know, from a, you know, just basically saying, nah, don't, don't let ego believe it's me, you know, that's actually causing this. You know, I had, I had dismissed it as basically economics, you know, this is the law of supply and demand, and, you know, and uh, more or less, this is inflation, how inflation works, and, you know, I, I had disassociated this, this um, what, I, what I had observed as basically not being a part of me, you know, this was just more or less everybody's experiencing this. But then all of a sudden I had this happen, you know, where I had, you know, where I had realized I'd seen this a little more pointedly at me, directed, you know, at the things I did, you know, and I'm just like going, this is really weird. You know, why is it, you know, what what is causing this to happen? Well... I come back to this, this, you know, and that's the whole thing is, you know, you see a price range uh, increase of of a dollar twenty five for laundry, you know, which these laundromats, generally speaking, serve the 
the lower to lower middle class. You know, let's be clear about this. So to have a 40% rise, you know, in the cost of living for that market segment doesn't make logical, rational sense. You know, unless you actually start taking, uh, you, you'd look at it from a different perspective. And that's actually what I ended up having to do. So years ago, 1999, Movie Matrix comes out. Neo. Um, he's inside the Matrix and everything, and uh, at this point, um, the Matrix, you know, he, there's there's two different thought processes, two different belief patterns that, uh, that are actually um, present within the concept of the Matrix. Number one, um, that's that ma- the Matrix and Neo is part of a collective whole and the collective whole that forms that matrix and everything he is simply nothing more than a participant in this community that's created by the collective whole of the minds you know created and um uh, propagated by the collective minds of the whole that are also being influenced through the machines and everything that's around them that's one that's one school of thought that he's one single individual participating in this individual community or participating in this collective community, and uh, he is just one cog as a part of a greater whole. That's one one school of thought. But then all of a sudden, I started realizing, wait a second, there's another school of thought, you know, that could apply to that whole concept. What if what we're seeing, what if what if what I'm seeing in the Matrix and everything, is Neo's perspective only? And everybody else has a different perspective into the Matrix, meaning his ideal world, you know, which he's a part of a, a he's a cog in a machine called Micro, whatever it is, um, Brain Tech, or I can't remember the name, Megacorp. Um, I think that was the name of the company, it was Megacorp, but it's the equivalent of like a Microsoft or something like that. He's a, he's a product of this, basically this big, huge company and everything, you know, software design that he's more or less, you know, a cog in this machine and everything, but he's still part of this collective whole and everything. And uh, but the, here's here's where the school of thought deviates. He becomes the center point of all things that happen within this world. So pricing does become relative to him because everybody else ex- is experiencing their own simulation per se. You know, so let's say he is in this megacorp one everybody else doesn't uh you know most people don't like that idea and concept so as a result some might have a fairy tale existence some might have a an existence where they're just basically a housewife or a house husband um some may have this existence where they're in the 24th century you know um where they're basically a part of a starship crew or something like that you know um the whole product and concept of of his ideal um, w- world in order to basically eke the most energy out of him um, could be potentially um, this whole concept and idea you know that he is unique and individual within his particular matrix m- simulation and everything but each and every individual has their own simulation so here's where here's where it gets kind of funky so what what is going on when there's the cost of goods and services that are actually increasing relative to him? And, and I'm, I'm going to actually, you know, 
create this analogy based on my own perceptions and experiences in life. Why is it the cost of goods and services are increasing relative to me? I mean, I've seen it. I've experienced it. You know, um, and not only that, but I've also witnessed, experienced a direct, um, a direct inverse correlation to the amount of pay that I that I'm making. You know, so the amount from about 1999 of all years, um, where I was making 150 an hour, I have witnessed a decreasing amount of money that I've made in a consistent fashion and everything. First happened with 2001, you know, with 9-11. Uh, you know, where uh, from there I ended up basically getting, uh, going back to about, you know, I mean, I ended up slipping into, you know, to the military at that point, making military wages. And for two years, I ended up uh, at that point uh, going back to consulting, you know, beginner's consulting wages, 30 bucks an hour, you know, so... And here's the thing is, you know, I'd gone from 150 only three, four years before to to this amount, literally only three or four years later. And I was having a hard time building my building myself back up. You know, it's like something had happened. I'd seen the Matrix. I mean, that certainly affected the mind the way that, that my mind structured the world. I'm not going to go there. That's a little bit of an esoteric thought concept. But um, really, what ended up happening at that point was I had diminishing returns on the the amount of effort that I put into the world and everything and the amount that I got out of it. So, and here's, and here's the examples. Um, I ended up making less money over time, you know, um, that built up a little bit, you know, as I ended up pulling more and more hours, you know, but really what ended up happening was I ended up stressing myself out. So where I ended up, ended up becoming more dependent on this system through pharmaceutical use and that kind of stuff. And later through cocaine and, um, alcohol, excessive use of alcohol. And what I found was the quality of my life kept diminishing. It kept, it kept sinking. So, um, despite the fact that I'm, I'm working more, I'm in general receiving less out of this altogether. And in addition to this, the quality of my life is diminishing substantially over time. So I ended up going from a four bedroom house in 2001 to a two, two bedroom place by the time I ended up uh, getting out of the, uh, the military and everything. Um, or actually getting, you know, going through the whole process of the NSA and actually getting into uh, becoming a civilian uh, contractor and everything. And then from there, um, you know, I ended up having a two-bedroom place where eventually I downsized to a one-bedroom place and I had had uh, two storage units at that point, you know, where here I am. Um, I'm actually having a hard time affording these. So the amount that I'm making is being diminished substantially through everything that's actually pounding me from the outside. Um, I'm seeing rent increases. I'm seeing my dependency on drugs to keep me happy and everything is increasing. Um, I'm seeing um, a lot of different things, stimulus on the outside world, you know, inflationary type things and everything that were going up on a regular basis and everything to insurance rates. You know, here I am, I'm the perfect fucking driver and, and uh, I'm seeing my interest rates go up. But not only that, to make things worse, I'm busting my 
bucking balls, you know, for credit cards and everything, paying everything on time, um, making making the fact to to basically, you know, end up taking this, you know, taking everything I've got and actually putting it into the money or putting it into the cards and everything, you know. So any credit cards that I get, I mean, I've I've got enough stored away in the bank and everything that I'm actually creating, you know, making interest on this, you know. But the simple fact of the matter is, I was making less money. Um, despite despite myself and everything, and this is actually for me one of the biggest problems that I was having is how the fuck, you know, can somebody that's actually working for, you know, say a marketing position making thirty thousand dollars a year, be affording to live in the same kind of apartment that I am, and not only that, but they're also driving the same kind of fuck, fucking car? Doesn't make logical sense. And I kept saying this over and over again. Once I started really paying attention, I started saying, okay, I started asking people the question, you know, what do you do for a living? Um, I mean, I, I'm seeing, observing the factual lifestyle that they have, you know, is the same as mine. You know, this is before I even started, you know, started the path of drugs and everything. But I'm seeing that the lifestyle is the same exact as mine. How? How is it possible that you can exist on this lifestyle and everything? And, you know, I mean, at this point, I ended up finding out many of them didn't live on debt, you know, so I know that wasn't the answer. You know, I mean, I, I'm witnessing this and it's just like, okay, why is it, why is that I'm feeling like Neo in the Matrix? Like I'm being, you know, I'm being kind of singled out here where the cost of living and everything is, is being raised relative to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm working harder to maintain this lifestyle. You know, and I'm seeing other people that, you know, they're more or less kind of like chilling, you know, chillaxing and not doing anything. Well, then I, then when I ended up taking the um, the trip down to Mexico and to Latin America and everything, I started seeing some things that really put things into a different perspective. Um, and that was, um, I, I saw people that had houses, you know, that didn't work. Um, I saw people that uh, um, they would get on a bus you know, and they, in a literal sense, didn't know where some place was that was literally just on the other side of town. They didn't know their town, you know, um, and this didn't make sense to me. I mean, it's a relatively small town over in Granada. Um, was it Granada, Nicaragua? You know, it was a good for instance. I remember meeting a couple girls that I asked, you know, where, where things were and everything. And I asked, I literally went down the street asking person after person after person where this, you know, pretty reputable business was on the other side of town. And she's like, none of them knew. You know, it's just like, and then those that knew, you know, of the, you know, 30% that actually knew, they could not, for the life of them, give me directions on how to walk there. You know, it's only a mile away. I'm not shitting you when I say it's only a mile away, and they could not, for the life of me, give me directions on how to actually walk there. Uh, that didn't make any sense. Why? Why would, how would you not know how to get to the other side of town by walking? They would give me bus directions or tell me to ta take a taxi. Taxi knows how to get there, go there, go there through that. And it's just like, uh, this doesn't make sense. You know, logical, rational sense and everything. You know, I mean, I understand the dependency, you know, on something, you know, and it was really starting to put things in perspective. You know, so here I am, you know, I had just come out of this corporate world and this lifestyle and everything that was really self-destructive, not just to me, but to my mind and my body, you know, and then all of a sudden I started realizing, you know, being able to look at um, the lifestyle, you know, that, uh, that most Americans were living and really what I was comparing myself to, 
I'm not like these others. You know, these people that I'm seeing and everything, um, you know, I actually I play my games, you know, Grand Theft Auto, Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs 2, and all that kind of stuff and everything. And oh, got, got the wonderful little music. You can tell it's, it's noon. My, um, on a wholly different subject, I'll get to it in a second, but that noise in the background, that music, if you can hear it, it's uh, my uncle passed away about uh, four months ago. My mom's torn up about it, and I've been meaning to watch the funeral that she ended up taping and everything, but me and my father both haven't watched it. Um, it's just, um, that's his clock, so they ended up spending, it's a beautiful clock, I think they spent uh, $350 on it, and it's just, you know, it's an interesting clock that actually goes off and plays a tune every hour during the daylight hour, so it does sense the, uh, it does sense the time, and it's not waking me up in the middle of the night or anything like that. Otherwise, I would be taking it off the wall. But uh, anyways, um, it is, it's his clock, so or was. So anyways, um, going back to the story and everything. Um, you know, so I'm playing these games, Watch Dogs, uh, Grand Theft Auto, and all this stuff. And um, inside these games is me, the player. You know, the, or actually, the player playing through an avatar that represents... Um, the interest of the avatar that I'm actually playing as a storyline. So, anyways, um, this this player or this avatar interacts with others throughout this this virtual world. So, um, intera interacts with cars, interacts with other pedestrians, um, with other people inside of it, and everything. And um, in a general sense, the the interactivity, the intelligence level for these pedestrians and everything is is fairly rudimentary. Um, so you can you can walk up to a corner, and one of the things I like doing is actually listening in on conversations. That's one thing. And the other thing is also just uh, sitting there and uh, waiting, you know, and, and watching and watching what people do and everything. And uh, to some degree, it's just like I don't know how much of this is programmed and how much of this is. Um, in a sense, natural, and uh, it, it's it's almost like analogizing it to the to the world around me. How much of the behavior of the world around me is actually programmed, and how much of it is um, I you know that's I it's uh, trying to make the comparative analogies kind of a little, a little bit difficult, but how much of it. And in what ways is programmed, and is it, will I be able to see spontaneous behavior within it? Well, one of the things that I've realized is when I compare myself to somebody that tells me that they have a job of twenty five, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year, you know, and um, at that point uh, they're able to afford the same kind of car that I can, and um, you know, and also not have debt, you know, I have to. I had to start learning to look at things differently and understand that the way that they go through their process of acquisition and everything is substantially different than me. You know, um, if if I ask and if I inquire, the moment that, that I actually observe, this is something I've realized, at that point they will create a story that will actually provide the evidence to me um, of of what actually makes it possible that for them to be able to afford what they have. You know, so for me, it'll actually draw a clear picture, you know, but for me, the one thing I've learned over time is that story that they're telling 
isn't necessarily their story. You know, so that's something that I'm hearing that based on my experiences, my evidence, my, um, my perspective of life and everything. And here's why I'm saying that. If you look at Neo in the Matrix, and he's actually the solitary individual within his world and everything, and his body is the one that's actually responsible for actually creating heat energy on the outside world by the machines and everything. So, really, it stands to reason that, that the entirety of the Matrix itself is actually comprised in his mind. It's not in this machine grid. It's actually in his mind. You know, so the stimulus that goes on, you know, by the machines and everything is more or less this this thing that uh, that basically stimulates his mind in a particular way that keeps it in a loop and everything that basically maintains, you know, the heat energy to basically build his body up and everything. So you think whatever you want to think while you're in this matrix and everything in order to basically stimulate your body to basically create as much heat energy as possible in order to, you know, to stimulate the outside world and everything to be able to provide it the energy to basically maintain, you know, maintain. And uh, clearly, clearly, the goal is, you know, to balance long-term sustainability for your energy that you're actually maintaining and everything for the outside world in combination with, and this is actually where it gets trippy and everything, um, in combination with bumping trying to actually bump up the amount of energy that you provide you know so and, and here's an analogy um with a uh a duracell battery for instance you've got uh you've got different types of voltages right 1.5 volt 3 volt 9 volt etc etc all these different voltages and everything that are supposed to maintain for a certain period of life and everything the cheaper battery that you get the more likely you are to be able to um or actually, the more unlikely you are to have a sustainable battery life and everything, you know. So that's why you get better batteries in a general sense. the The better the battery, the more likely it is that that battery will actually have more longevity, you know. In contrast to cheaper, less expensive batteries, cheaper, less durable, less less well made batteries, you know. So that's that's actually what I'm talking about from a sustainability perspective. Now, lo looking at this from the inside. Um, Neo is is in a world and everything where his mind is actually creating um, is actually stimulating his physical body in a way that's actually creating the energy. So if he's actually in a place, a fairy tale place, where he's not giving a shit about this world and everything, maybe even not even participating in everything, the amount of energy he's going to provide is going to be pretty nominal, right? You know, so it, it behooves the, the matrix to put him in a place where he's going to find the most stimulus, where he's going to enjoy life in the world the most, right? You know, or, or not necessarily enjoy, but where, where his body will react by creating the most heat energy he possibly can. So, this is actually the thing. So, if he's in a collective society, this is actually the, the consideration I had before. If he's in a collective world and everything, well, that collective world, while it may be a little bit easier to maintain, you know, when it comes down to um, efficiency and creating the most productivity uh, for the single, single energy, 
uh, point and everything, um, hands down, it's it's the least efficient because you cannot target the specific uh, the specific individual with the specific needs of that individual and everything in order to maintain you know the equilibrium of of uh, efficiency um, with uh, sustainability. You know, so that's actually one of the interesting things about that. So anyways, um, going back to my whole laundromat thing, the reason that I'm seeing the laundromat thing is is what I suspect is that uh, from a sustainability perspective and everything, um, the financial system in itself is one mode, one method, one means of exchange of energy. So basically, if you if you analogize energy, um, uh, the concept and idea of energy, of work, I should say, to potential energy, um, potential energy to the dollar, the dollar itself or any forms of currency is a form of potential energy. So if you actually measure the amount of potential energy, I, aka the dollar, and you measure that to the amount of energy, amount of work that that actually puts out by that individual and everything. At that point, you come up with the figure. You know, I don't know what it is or anything like that. You know, but uh, in theory, you know, the whole matrix concept would work based on this whole concept that the more energy that that you produce as an individual, the 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 better uh, compensated that you're going to be within that matrix however in order to increase that production the goal might be for the matrix to actually diminish the amount that you're actually paid in contrast to how much that you work to basically make it so where you have to work more that's one mode one method of of uh of creating more motivation and everything which you know that's where it has its diminishing returns you know where it gets to the point where somebody like me basically says fuck you fuck this i'm not interested in playing that game anymore you know i mean i've worked my ass off and i've got to the point where i i had absolutely no return for everything that was going on and i've i've not experienced anything that's you know that that has that not only motivates me to want to go back to work but you know, it's just like, I'm ruined for it. I just don't want to do it anymore. So anyways, it's my belief that to some degree my mind was stuck in a matrix prior to, and, and as a result, probably of watching the film. So anyways, my mind was stuck in a matrix, and, and I was in fact actually, you know, seeing the direct results of the outside world in the outside world by seeing the laundromat uh, prices increase and everything you know by seeing all those things go up relative to what I was paying and everything so and relative to me you know so and and here's the interesting thing about it all too it, it's a tell on how the world really works at least from my perspective you know, so yes, it's an egocentric universe. Yes, it's a, you know, it's it can be a collective whole. It could be a narcissistic, uh, individually based thing too. And going back to the whole Grand Theft Auto thing, for me as an avatar, for me as a player, um, that game only starts up when I participate in it. You know, um, in a literal sense, I don't see anything happen. You know, in this world when I re-enter it. You know, nothing changes. And the same thing happens with my world, too. 
I can't help but notice notice the similarities. You know, so when I'm when I'm not participating in something, nothing seems to happen. The influences that uh, you know that uh, that are that happen, you know, without me observing, I get a sense that nothing really happens. Yeah, sure, my attention's brought to something um, changing on occasion, something substantial changing and everything. You know, and at that point, once I observe it, boom, that change happens. You know, so, and this is actually a result, a direct result of seeing the, uh, the whole, you know, laundromat thing go up. My, my energy itself, in itself, is being demanded by this system. I know the value of my of my participation, you know, in the system and everything. I know that change occurs when I observe things. And it doesn't stick when I don't observe things. I know this. You know, so I know that that cost, you know, increased because of my participation. And it sustained itself because of my participation in that. So, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just like, you know, when I observe something inside Grand Theft Auto, you know, it doesn't really necessarily stick, but I can make changes directly to that world and everything. And I have been, and my changes to that world directly stick. So it's just, it's not that much different from my perspective right now. You know, my, my observations, and I, I could assume this is true for everybody, you know, but everybody else receives their information in different ways and observes their their world differently too. You know, I can't help but think that uh, I'm observing a world, you know, that is based in the year 2018. You're observing a world, you know, that you could be in the 17th century, you can be in the 25th century, you can be, you know, uh, a somebody that I might see as a female human. Um, you might actually be. Um, I don't know, Romulan female or Romulan male, you know, um, you might be, um, you know, driving a, <laughs> I don't know, an interstellar star, a starship and everything, you know, something capable of warp speed, and I might just see a car. Well, I mean, the, the, tran the, the translative nature in between realities, you know, is is a part of what what I had to consider. If you've got so many different minds that are linked together in a matrix type of way, and I'm not talking about this from um, a machine-like perspective and everything as depicted in the matrix. The matrix is kind of like a nasty depiction of the entire thing and everything. Um, but for me, it's it's also there's some truth to it too. You know, our minds interlinking um, are what's what's responsible for creating our individual reality and our collective reality as well you know but my individual reality you know and what I perceive and everything is relative to me you know and um, it's not that much different than your individual reality and it's not that much different than an overall let's say there's you know a, a machination a a, um, a a collective mind that we form that's actually responsible for managing the entirety of all this you know um, all of it there's a perspective from that collective mind's perspective as well. You know, and that just because there's, you know, there's one perspective um, based on, 
the constituency of individuals doesn't make that one more accurate than any of the other ones. That's actually the one thing I had to learn with all this, too. You know, so let's say The Matrix, you know, as depicted in the movie The Matrix, is the machine's perspective on what they're doing. You know, they might may not like themselves for what they feel like they're doing to humans and everything. And maybe that's one perspective, you know, and Mr. Smith certainly indicated his dissatisfaction with the, with the overall arrangement as well. You know, so that's that's indicative of the machine's um, lack of of satisfaction with the way things were actually uh, working and everything. You know, but from a human perspective and everything, let's say um, let's say I'm Neo. You know, and uh, I never saw any of the shit. You know that uh, you know the the iterative lives, the living fifty when they when uh, he went to go see see the architect, and there's a hundred, two hundred, three hundred different uh, versions of Neo, each one of them screaming or you know smiling or crying or whatever, doing something different and everything because it had reached the same point and everything, you know, hundreds of thousands of times and everything, and um, basically the the architect. You know, was kept tearing the thing down and trying out new different versions and everything. You know, so, but that's actually just one perspective on, and Neo's perspective, Neo's life. You know, was it, it wasn't necessarily from his eyes. It was just basically this is, you know, and I I do believe that in a, if you're actually going to use an interpretive, uh, you know, measure in in looking at uh, the Matrix, I do believe that uh, the Matrix itself and the Oracle wasn't lying when she told uh, Neo, you're not the one. It wasn't a figurative, you know, thing. It was a literal. She knew he wasn't the one. You know, she knew that he was an avatar, a a conjuration, a, a perspective of an individual, but wasn't, that individual wasn't existing in the world that, uh, of the of the matrix that individual was a, an interpretation by the matrix you know so it, it's just like saying this when i look at my mom when i look at my dad um i know that i'm receiving an interpretation of their conscious minds you know i know that i'm receiving a a projection a protrusion in space and time of of them from their reality into my reality too um now it it could be you know, more them than it is. I, but I am receiving an interpretation. You know, so is that interpretation guaranteed? Is it is that 100% translated from their reality? No. Fuck no. You know, it's like saying that, uh, you know, when somebody sees Q on Star Trek and says, hey, you know, I've seen you before. No, you've seen an interpretation of me. But that's not me. I mean, sure, I'm, I'm going to leverage that interpretation because I like that interpretation. I'm going uh, to actually, you know, become a little bit more like that character, you know, with the skills and capabilities. But look-wise, no, I don't look, look a thing like that. It's all because we, we translate and we interpret the things that we hear and the things that we see, you know, and the things that we experience from our senses and everything for our reality, you know? And that's where narcissism and egoism comes in. We interpret. I as, an, I, as an individual, interpret for my reality. I take things from my own experiential basis, you know, from my own subconscious mind, from my, from my own education, from my own wants and not wants and everything, and I, I use a, a wide swath, a creative brush, and actually color things accordingly. You know, and as a result, you know, what I get in my reality is an interpretation, you know, created by me for me. It doesn't mean everybody shares the same worldview. 
You know, that's actually what I had to learn. You know, and with that interpretation also comes a little bit of bias, a little bit of influence, basically pushing me in the direction that I want to go in. You know, so me not wanting to be a slave, being a cog in the machine and everything, is directly responsible for creating the resistance to me continuing my dependency on, on money as my object of motivation for, for the world around me, as, as my paintbrush, per se, to be able to enact change in the world around me. My mind filtered the information that actually came through from the outside world and everything. It adjusted the Im imagery and the information that I got. And as a result of this, whatever pricing was there before, at that point, it's my belief that my own mind escalated the prices to make it so where I kept on getting feedback information saying, don't follow the money. Follow my own creative capabilities and everything. My own wants and not wants. Understand that the influences I'm receiving from the outside world is nothing more than my own mind and its power over reality from my own perspective. And because I don't want the dependency on money anymore, because I like the idea of being able to snap my fingers and being able to conjure up a million dollars rather than depend on that money. You know, so here's the, here's the, you know, the thing. I know others depend on that money and everything, and I can leverage that money. But if I want that money myself, I become dependent on it. So my mind is intentionally starting to hijack my reality. It has been for the last 15 years, and been increasingly doing so, and increasingly taking me off the dependency of money, so I can actually start getting, acquiring those Q powers, the ability to be able to transform reality. The ability, I mean, and, and money I know is, is only one way to motivate people. And I've been increasingly finding this out the last six years. You know, particularly being homeless, I could sit there and ask. So. I was cut off there. My mom and dad got home abruptly and everything, and uh, I didn't continue. It's 11 o'clock now. That was like 1 o'clock this afternoon and everything. But, anyways, I've been getting into, um, I just started up Witcher the other day, Witcher 3, so I've been playing that, and also I've been getting into Adobe Premiere um, videos, and also Adobe After Effects, and more or less getting back around to studying film and how films are made and everything. I've also been playing with cameras and positioning within G 
Grand Theft Auto world. So I've got my mod, my Z Sharp mod, that's right now I've actually, I'm testing something out, I'm actually trying to uh, create a dis displaced camera. And I had something weird happen the other day where I zoomed the camera too far out and it was kind of weird, you know, what I ended up experiencing and everything. So let's see if this works. Does it work? No, didn't work. Damn it. Yeah, camera goes 10 feet away from me, but it's supposed to move, and it doesn't. Damn. So, programmatically moving a camera. I've actually thought about making a movie in the Grand Theft Auto world, and uh, leveraging some things, and... I don't know, that's one thing I'm pondering and everything, just as I play around with the programming type stuff and everything, and getting more fluid and comprehensive and understanding of three-dimensional graphics and how they work and everything. So, anyways, um, yeah, about the whole, everything that I was talking about before... Um, it just comes down to there's a, uh, what I, what I consider a, um, two fundamentally kind of like you could say opposing perspectives on reality. Um, one is the collective belief system, the collective, uh, collective con uh, concepts and everything. The other one's more of an individualistically based. Um, and in, in the collective sense, you know, you tend to have a tendency to look out there for answers and everything, where in a more individualistic sense, you have a tendency to look inwards. And um, it gets to the point of being narcissistic when you start realizing that that in inside is actually creating the outside in that feedback loop and everything. Now, both perspectives are equally accurate. You know, and there's a lot of shades of gray in between. And it's my belief that this is actually what, you know, goes into creating this funky universe. Um, the one thing I still have a hard time distinguishing is, am I the only one in it? And it's... It was lonely at one point, but now, you know, since I've realized I had never really known before, the only real distinction is just intellectually. You know, I mean, I definitely see a big difference between people that uh, might be considered awake versus people that aren't. You know, and... Um, the whole thing is, it's just like the NPCs in my games. You know, I I was one once before, so to call something else not alive, because I don't don't think that it has the same level or capabilities of comprehension and intelligence that I do, that's a misnomer. It's inaccurate. You know, it's like I go up and give my dog a hug. Well, shit, for all I know, that dog could have multidimensional awareness and could just be here visiting because he likes the attention and everything coming from, you know, coming from me. You know, it's just like I'm one of the rare beings that gives him hugs and he loves hugs, you know, and but this multidimensional creature and everything that has vastly more intelligence than me just simply likes the emotional attachment that it has to me. I mean, that's one possibility, you know, and there's infinite different possibilities out there, you know, but to some degree, a narcissistically based, you know, belief system of laundromats raising prices and everything, and that's relative to me, that's, that's kind of like, you almost have to do that, that's the way I look at things, you have to make things about yourself, 
you have to you have to go down that path you have to entertain that you know because that's a part of building yourself building your own personality building your own character building your own belief systems building your own philosophies and part of what adds to the variety and of all the shit that happens here and everything now i i don't care you know if somebody does or doesn't want to ascribe to that philosophy and everything and i don't care if they want to you know believe that i created this universe that i call my own you know um i don't care if they don't believe that they see or don't see the same world that i do but what what matters to me is that at least there's some kind of modicum or an, an attempt others to respect it you know in any case i'm tired tonight and uh, i'm gonna hit the sack early but uh i just wanted to conclude that conversation i had earlier um i did have some more that i was going to talk about it's completely slipped my mind it uh it snowed last night and woke up to snow outside or to about an inch of snow covering the ground outside so welcome to portland or vancouver right but um, other than that, I really, man, didn't have much else of anything to talk about today. Um, I did have something I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll get to that later. It doesn't, uh, doesn't matter that much right now. So, anyways, have a good night. Actually, I just thought of the last topic I wanted to talk about. I had actually paused the last recording, too, so apparently it was deep in my mind. I've been watching a show called DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and there's this concept called the time bubble. Now, reality is comprised of... Uh, time is the Doctor Who, and doc, or Doctor and Doctor Who describes it as nothing but a whole bunch of wibbledy-wobbledy type stuff and everything. He, he really never describes it appropriately. And... Um, from my perspective, time is a... It's infinite possibilities reduced through our experiences, or through my experiences, through my education, through my perspectives, through my understanding and comprehension of the world and everything, to a finite set of perspectives, which in my case are digitally based. So basically, um, my timeline, based on the Gregorian timeline, has a, has a history to it. Um, my history is stuck. Um, there are certain points in space and time which are stuck in, in time, you know, such as JFK's assassination, Abraham Lincoln's assassination, the inception of the um, United States in 1776. Each one of these um, is more or less a fixed point in space and time because they are a story which contributes to the, to the evolution or to the development of me. So without these stories, um, I wouldn't have United States of America. So, so you know, the events in 1776 didn't happen. Um, JFK and the whole um, conspiracies and the necessity for conspiracies and secrecy and that kind of stuff um, wouldn't have entered my life. And you know, the the open questions of you know, quote unquote who did it. Um, things like 9/11 and you know having a celeb to cause for a reason for me to join the NSA and to basically forego some of the things that I was doing and everything, you know, as far as my life was concerned. All of these things, all of these fixed points in space and time and everything are dates, you know, that are extremely important. Now, um, in Time Cop and you know, a lot of TV shows like this, there's 
agencies, which I'll go through, and they're responsible for policing the timeline, going to certain points in space and time, and actually making sure certain events happen in in the way they're historically documented, and or um, more or less making, you know, to some degree, me consciously aware, you know, that these events are out there, and that there's potentially, you know, ideas and concepts that are going on out there about how time functions, and there's something called the time bubble. Now, I had always wondered, you know, I'd seen this concept mentioned before, you know, where basically an event is detected historically, in the, uh, a historical alteration is detected in the future, but it doesn't alter the future immediately, because it takes a while for it to actually bubble up, um, to the current modern day. So, this is a little bit of evidence of kind of like the matrixy like way that time is formulated. In other words, there's a whole shitload of calculations that actually go in into consideration, into place and everything um, before an event that happens in the past um, will influence the current and the present future. Um, of that past event. So to the past event, now is the future. Um, now our our present is the future of the of the past. So it's mildly confusing at first, but you'll get used to it. But um, in the end, um, when an event, a historical event changes, um, it creates something called a time bubble. Now these time bubbles can be tiny, you know. So uh, and they happen all the time, you know, so you'll see evidence of these time bubbles everywhere, you know, it, just once you start looking for them, they'll drive you insane, it's just like, holy shit, you know, because there's so many different methods and means of manipulating time, I mean, storytelling is one, is one way of manipulating time, you alter one person's belief system, you know, you make them look at history differently, you know, or historical concepts from a different context than they had ever anticipated before. That in itself creates a tiny, tiny little bubble, you know, but that bubble can actually grow so large, you know, if enough people hear it, you know, that could be one of the, one of the reasons for change in the past. Um, another reason could be because it impacts one person so greatly that they end up changing um, the entire foundation of what they're doing, and they may completely alter the direction and resist further changes by reality itself to actually adhere to the collective, you know, timeline that's been created. So here's a for instance. Um, in DC's Legends of Tomorrow, they uh, they end up going back to a point in time where they're. Yeah, actually, I'm trying to think. Timeless is probably a better example. Now, in Timeless, they end up... Um, Timeless is another show where they're constantly hopping back and forth, and they work for an agency that has a time machine, you know, that lets them go back in time. Well, um, one of the primary characters, Anna, uh, she ends up um, going back in time, and uh, she comes forward in time after they end up making some minor changes to, you know, to reality in the past, and all of a sudden, now her sister... Um, that had been there in the previous timeline in her future is no longer there. Now that's a pretty dramatic, you know, time bubble, 
you know, that can actually arise. And time bubbles can be so extreme that they can actually uh, cause, um, you know, complete alteration to the present, particularly from a time traveler's perspective and everything. You know, and I'm not talking about me from my time traveling perspective. My time traveling perspective will be absolutely different. I'll be able to have fixed points in space and time and everything, you know, a la going back to certain points and everything where I know it's going to be there. You know, so my concept and idea of, of the way space and time works for my linear timeline is going to be dramatically different, you know, than the timelines that I've observed. You know, and here's a good for instance as well, Back to the Future, when Marty McFly travels back, um, he ends up creating the equivalent of a time bubble. And uh, how he does that when he travels back in time, it first starts, you know, when he ends up actually running into the shed and, you know, becoming the more or less the alien that the little kid sees in the comic book and everything. That causes a minor, minor blip on the radar. But really what causes a major blip on the radar is his influence in his father and his mom's meeting and they don't meet at first and all of a sudden you know when he ends up introducing himself and and uh boom all of a sudden his mom's like infatuated with him well it creates a big huge problem you know that it basically it's is the whole premise of the entire movie. Marty McFly has to get his mom to fall in love with his dad while well, he ends up going to the future where his dad has stood up for himself and uh, her mom is no longer the lush and it's really kind of a remarkable change, you know, that's happened. Well, this happened because of a, a fixed point in time, a story that, that, his, that Marty McFly had been told many times that he ends up going to witness for himself and he sees, he sees directly that time has changed. Now here's the interesting thing, that creates a bubble. So anytime an, an alteration occurs that an observer um, observes that defies the observational time of uh, observation or that defies the records, the historical records of that time, that creates a time bubble. So, and this, let's, I'm going to state this from an important perspective. It has to be observed. Now, the observer um, could be anything, you know, so it could be somebody watching a TV show. In a literal sense, that act of observation, even if it's a source of quote-unquote fiction, that may desensitize, that may diminish the impact that that has, but it still creates a time bubble. And it's a minor one, you know, because at that point, the collective mind basically says, okay, you know, so there's a collective mind, there's a subconscious mind, there's an individual mind. All of them are working together to mitigate, you know, the, the um, influence of this new event, you know, because the mind considers everything. And this is how time travel works, you know. So when a new piece of evidence and of information of ideas um, concerning a historical event occurs, um, so let's say, you know, an incorrigible, incorrigible bastards or whatever it was, um, the one that uh, had Brad Pitt in it where he goes and he ends up uh, invading and he kills, uh, you know, Hitler in that case and everything inside the movie theater. Well, you know, that presents an alternate reality, an alternate perspective into history and everything. And that, in a literal sense, creates an alternate timeline. Now, that in itself is responsible for creating a time bubble. 
Now, that time bubble is basically the collective mind of every mind that's actually incorporating within this reality. Basically saying, okay, does that work for you? Is that something you want? You know, more or less, it's this, it's this whole, if you want to think about it from a peer-to-peer -peer network perspective and everything, does that work for you? No, it works for me. It works. No, it doesn't work for me. No, it doesn't work for me. Boom. You know, and at that point, once the collective agrees on it, the individuals are expected to go to go into alignment with the uh, collective uh, members and everything. You know, and this is actually what creates the bubble because the more and more um, consensus, the agreement that you have in a collective sense, you know, from the individual minds that actually make up the reality, um, that's actually is what's creating that bubble. You know, so when that movie was created. It created a time bubble back in time, saying, does that record of events work for you? You know, even though it's fiction, we're going to first let you know that it's fiction, you know, that it's, that it's already deemed fiction, you know, so it already has that spin on it, um, but it's a record placed in a certain place in a certain time and everything, and all minds always will, will consider it. That's just the nature of the way the, that the mind works. So when that happens, at that point, boom, it creates this bubble because you've got a, a separate event that's occurring at this point in space and time and everything, and that bubble comes up and it basically says, okay, well, this one on a Richter scale, if you're going to compare it to like an earthquake or something like that, you know, it's a tiny blip because it's already been dissociated from, you know, from memory, basically saying, oh, not another Hitler fucking story. You know, that the last one, you know, ranked 0 0.02 on a scale of 1 to 10. You know, it didn't even rank a one worthy of notation or, or consideration by the public consensus and everything. So that is actually what a bubble is. It's basically an alteration or an attempt to alter either directly through direct influences, that is through time travel or time travel mechanisms and everything, or through storytelling, which in itself actually alters time as well, um, the, an attempt to actually create a change you know, on a basis and everything, creates a bubble, a, an alteration, and, and they call it a bubble, it's called a bubble because it will bubble up to the present moment. So if you've got a present moment, you know, you have an event that's been documented as 1940, and, and it's wonderful because Hollywood loves doing their quote-unquote true stories, you know, um, but most of them aren't, let's be clear about that. Um, these are just collect they're deemed Hollywood's truth stories and everything, which isn't necessarily the truth, it's one truth, and it's basically Hollywood's truth, which in a sense serves to motivate and continue the um, the success of Hollywood itself as a production-based organization and everything, you know, which doesn't always have the collective entirety of those that they claim to represent, you know, in the best, you know, best in mind and everything. So, here's the thing. You have an event that happens, you know, and that event creates that bubble where it's like one little bubble, you know, can actually bubble to the surface and cause people to change. You know, it can cause, you know, let's say, you know, you have a consensus of 99 people that actually say, or 99%, you know, that agree with this, but all of a sudden, let's say 1% says, wait a second, I like that story. I like that change to my reality. And you're doing it at a subconscious level. And all of a sudden, boom. Okay. Well, that's the reality that you get now. 
And all of a sudden, now you've got 99% of the masses you know, are living in one reality and you have 1% that's living in another. You know, and reality is doing this all the time. You know, these bubbles are forming dynamically. They're, they're coming together dynamically all the time. You know, so sometimes there's a great story, you know, that has its place. You know, and, and let's be clear about that. The bubble doesn't necessarily have to appear in the past. That bubble can be can come from the future as well. So you have a story, a wonderful story that's told in the future. That future can be somebody else's past. And that somebody else's past integrates those futures, those potential futures for your own, and basically says, okay, do you want this as a part of your story? Boom. That actually starts altering your direction, and not only that, but it also could spin you off in a completely separate reality as a result of it. And this is actually really important to understand. It's just like, you know, your beliefs, your, your ideas, your concepts, your notions and everything, those bubbles forming all the time. You know, what happened to me was I was reacting to them. You know, I, I didn't understand, you know, what a story was. I didn't understand the power and influence of a story. You know, I didn't understand why I was getting so much varying information from so many, so many different sources. You know, and, and um, this whole concept of fact versus fiction. You know, I've been indoctrinated to believe, basically, when it's called a documentary, it's absolutely real. You know, the people that do the fact-checking actually did the fact-checking. I had absolutely believed, you know, that, you know, those, those things that were posited to me as fact were indeed fact. You know, that the historical records, cultural records, all this information and everything, you know, and Wikipedia and all this stuff and everything, you know, and, and other varying sources, both offline and online, when somebody told me this is the way things worked, I believed that was the way things worked. And then all of a sudden I started saying, wait a second, you know, when, uh, once I started seeing contradicting information, all of a sudden I started realizing, it's just like, wait a second, you know, this, this means I've got to choose which one, you know, to believe in, you know, which one to call my fact, you know, and really it came down to, I started realizing, it's just like, there's contradictive information for nearly anything that you look for, anything that you investigate. You know, so I started realizing that reality is the fact that I actually define. You know, so when it comes down to it, it's like my idea of time travel, you know, is going to be safely going through time and everything, visiting people and everything, doing what I want to. Um, I've got absolutely no fear of going back and visiting Jackie and Rachel and taking them on time travel journeys and everything. Now, I know from their perspective they could be actually having to deal with that bubble. But I also know, eventually, they're going to have to come to the same conclusion that I, I do. And that ultimately, as an individual, they're going to have to embrace their individuality. Or in order to simply move on with their life. And that individuality means respecting others' individuality as well. And that individuality also absolutely depends, it's contingent, on letting others live and believe what they want to and accept what they want to believe for facts and not only that perceive the world, the world the, the way they want to. So, 
with that said, the time bubble is more or less, it's an alteration in, in a historical event, whether or not, and actually it's an alteration in a temporal sense of an event in time and how it actually presents itself and arrives to the present day. Some may actually arrive as fact, and we may see this weird tidbit of information, maybe this little blip of fact that appeared for the first time in our radar. You ever get that? Where you see something for the first time, and it's just like, wow, how could I never have seen that? Well, it's just because that fact was presented for the first time, and it's the first time that you ever became consciously aware, because it may not have existed before. And that's how dynamic time is. It's changing all the time, and it is like, you know, moving Earth. You know, it changes, it's constantly, it's dynamic. You know, um, I mean, it's not saying that it moves fast or anything like that. And that time bubble is basically, it's the interconnected system of events, of triggers, of possibilities, of not just you, but the world around you, and how it actually impacts the world around you, based on you. I mean, like, man, I don't want war. Flat out. Um, I'm not interested in, you know, violence and nasty shit. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't, I want to see less homelessness. You know, I want to see more options for, you know, creating a, a pretty cool futuristic society and everything. You know, so I know that the filter in my mind actually takes the information, you know, and this is it, how the reality itself is created around me. So when I receive information that's dated, you know, in this case right here, I ended up playing Witcher 2 and, you know, 3, and uh, it's dated in 1227 or something like that, I actively dismiss the, the quote-unquote fact that's written on the internet that says it's a fictional adventure. Instead, I, I, I myself say this is a factual depiction of accounts that actually happened in, 20, in 1227. Now, it's not the only factual events that happened, but it's one set of factual events. And it's important to understand that there's multiple realities, multiple different timelines occurring within the same timeline in that past. You know, so if I was to physically go there, while I may not see exactly that event, because this event is a factual account of events and magic did exist, you know, and these capabilities for people, you know, and we have inherited a society in which magic was real and quite possibly still is real. And this is just basically historical accounts of those records. And history has been chock full of these records. And all I'm doing is just basically taking this and, and I'm forcing it to create a bigger bubble in my own mind. And that way I can keep on steering this reality in the direction I want to take it, which is basically me assuming, you know, control of Q, as Q. And also asserting control of my own mind. That's probably the more important thing. 
So, in any case, that was it. Past my bedtime. Have a good night.